Suicide, depression, and anxiety rates are up among teenagers and young adults today, even among Christians. So does a school environment play a significant role in creating or eliminating these problems? The answer is absolutely yes, and it may surprise you as to why. Stay tuned for this episode of Basecamp Live. Mountains, we all face them. Basecamp Live will equip you to conquer the biggest mountains when raising the next generation. Each week, you'll hear from culture watchers, thought leaders, and storytellers who know the tools you'll need to summit the peak and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. Welcome to Basecamp Live, and now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live here in the studio with Tom Velasco. How are you doing, Tom? Doing well, Davies. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to be together. You, Those Basecamp listeners out there who are kind of our faithful early adopters um, probably have heard our earliest shows. You and I did, I think, three podcasts together and in exciting places like yeah. Italy and France and yeah. England. Yeah, yeah, Rome, Paris. Uh, I remember one of them <laughs> sitting just inside a restaurant just outside of the rain, I do believe. Yeah, we I were. I just come in from outside of the rain. Yeah, so we got a little better facility here. It's it's, um, it's good to be out of the rain, but it's good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Tom is a great friend. He's a part of the uh, the teaching staff here at the Ambrose School. You get to teach the, the coveted culminating year 12th grade, and you get to see kind of the product of this education You've been teaching what? What I think we were talking about like two decades. I mean, this is yeah, been... yeah, basically twenty years total. <laughs> um, uh, with six of those years coming at a church uh, where I taught uh, yeah. postgraduate, which is which stuff. is great because you've got the vision of the church. You've been in that role, um, and you get to watch students, and then you, I think, view what two hundred fifty movies a year or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think probably quite a bit more than that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> well, it pays, it's, it's good to be single, Tom. You get to do these things more. <laughs> that's but it, true. But it does, it, and that's where they have a whole other podcast. But it's interesting because you really get a sense of what's going on culturally and what's happening out there. Um, and kind of really the world these kids swim in. So, yeah. um, well, I get a lot of that from them, you know, well, just absolutely, from, yeah, know, talking to them about because we do. We talk about the music, we talk about the movies, we talk about what they're watching yeah. every single day or yeah. listening to. So, well, you know, we our hope for this podcast is that it's actually a, a source of good news to folks. Um, it, it's tough raising the next generation, being parents, being involved in, in that generation. And, you know, we look at the news, it is discouraging at times. And I, you and I were just chatting about probably one of the most uh, one striking statistic that's out there is the rise in suicide rates among teen boys and girls. We're looking at an article here from Huffington Post. Um, suicide rates, it, girls 15 to 19 have doubled since 2007. Um, and boys, it's it's equally uh, concerning. They're up about 30% over the same time period. Yeah. So, you know, not to harp on the negative, but what are we seeing in our culture today, and maybe in your conversation with students, it seems like there's at core just a loss of identity and a struggle that's pretty deep within their souls. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I, th- I think there are a lot of factors in our culture that that lead to um, that that lead to this sense of despair that that people have. I think one of the things is the complete. Um, uh, just the social media presence that is yeah. always available. People are kind of more on a stage now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you can look at a lot of different things things like that. Mm-hmm. However, <clears throat> at the end of the day, I really think that the big issue, this is what has always struck me anyway, is that when a person comes to that point where they're ready to end their life, it's despair. Despair is kind of the principal, mm-hmm. primary thing that has overtaken them. And it seems to me that that sense of despair um, comes when one has a loss of hope, right? Sure. And so it's that's kind of, I think, the big thing is, is that people are wandering in our culture 
uh, aimless and hopeless. They need to have this confidence that there's something on the other side. Right? Sure. They need to have this confidence that it's all going to end okay. Uh, and that's what they don't have. Yeah. And I think for every, and, you know, for every person that's truly suicidal, there's however many walking around just the weight of the world and their shoulders, anxiety. I mean, it's normal. Teens today are trying to figure out who am I? What's my purpose? Where do I belong? That's normal. It's been there since the beginning of time, but it's perpetuated now. Like you said, social media is making it worse. Yeah. So I want to look at, again, in our limited time, kind of zoom in a bit on on the role of education, because I don't know that we as parents often equate the, the educational environment to being causal to maybe why we our kids are feeling extra anxiety. And so yeah. kind of walk us through what you, you know, this. That, yeah, It's funny what you just said a moment ago, thinking about identity mm-hmm. and a student's identity, because I do think that that's core to it. And I think it's core to what produces the despair. It's also interesting because politically, everybody's talking about identity, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, sorry, I should say sociopolitically, because um, it's not just a, a politics issue, but in the sense of our society, people talk about identity politics, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody everybody is about defining themselves. I just got done talking with a former grad just literally <laughs> 10 minutes ago who said that in his second week of Christian fundamentals at college, which I have no idea what that why, means. Right? What, what this would mean, at least given what they actually talked about. He said that they spent the entire second week identifying who they were, like <clears throat> um, coming out and stating their identity, um, defining themselves in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it wasn't entirely clear what that meant to me, um, but he said it was. It involved ethnicity. It involved gender. It involved, um, you know, sexual orientation. Sure. All of that kind of stuff that they spent their time trying to say, my identity is these things. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, yeah. uh, that's, that is what all of the, the tension, I, it seems, going on kind of at a national level is tied up with this insistence that um, when we talk about my group, whatever they might be, my, my ethnicity, my, my gender, my, my whatever, my group that's what defines me. That's who I am. Yeah. Right. And I think that that really comes out of the fact that people don't know what else to look for. Right. I mean, that's that's like that. Right. Those are the options put forward. And I think we look to blame. I mean, there's lots of sociological reasons why. I mean, I, I think all the way back in 1995, Robert Putnam's book Bowling Alone, and he was talking about, you know, people still bowl, but they don't do go in bowling leagues. They, they bowl by themselves. This was all pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is that we've been on this trajectory for a while. But again, I, I don't know that we often come back and we think about where our kids are in school all day. That is that actually an environment that's actually leading to even greater despair, mm-hmm. even if they walk in with a smile on their face and they're not actually suicidal. There's yeah. just this nagging sense of, and the culture at large is mm-hmm. saying, who are you, what's your identity? So for those who don't know, kind of, again, much longer conversation, but in short, I know you've, part of the talk we're kind of unpacking today is one that you've talked about, you gave at our auction talk mm-hmm. and recently just to our students on the um, on purpose in their life. So when mm-hmm. you think about the 20th century and the changes that happen in education mm-hmm. away from really a, a classical Christian orientation, mm-hmm. what were some of the impacts that sort of happened in the 20th century that lead to despair? Yeah, well, thank you for that. And actually, <laughs> I just realized I didn't quite answer your question the first time. I got <laughs> That's why I went to the second distracted. one, Tom. Yeah, which is good. Well, <laughs> I'm just moving on. That's okay. Thankfully, they tie together well. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. So, so here's the thing, and it's what made me think about what my former student said just a moment ago. It actually reminded me of when I was in junior high. No, no. I was a uh, junior in high school. Okay. Um, it was the one time in my entire educational career, uh, prior to college, that Mm -hmm. is, where I had a teacher ask me what my purpose was. 
Wow. One time, only once. At no other point. Did you have an in answer? Grammar school? No, I had no answer. In fact, I remember, I, I, I very distinctly remember him talking about purpose, about yeah. why we're here, who we are, and then said, what is your purpose? Mm. And I remember I made fun of him. I mean, I, I was joking about it because... Uh, the funny thing was, is at the time I would have uh, called myself a professing Christian. Yeah. And, and this was not a Christian school. He was not a Christian man. Wow. He was really genuinely concerned. Sounds to, like he was searching himself. Yeah. Well, right. And he was he was concerned to take education to that place. Yeah. That was the big thing was like for him. And this is one of the reasons why he's one of the honestly kind of few impactful teachers that I recall having mm. was he wanted to take it beyond the stuff that we were, you know, yeah. the, the stuff we were reading. And I remember him saying this and I remember making fun of him about it. And he, of course, put up with me wonderfully. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you were a challenging student. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, but but uh, the thing was, and, and this is kind of what I want to reflect on. Nobody had ever encouraged me to think about that question. And nobody had ever tried to tie that into anything we were reading or talking about. And I had never given a thought to it. And when the question came up, it seemed to me that there was no possible answer. Wow. Right? Um, that, what, and, you're, like, and you're a church-going kid. And I was a church-going kid. Which is amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah, this, I was a church-going kid. This didn't even hit Sunday it school. It wouldn't have even right. been a thought. Right. That's, I thought it was an absurd question. I remember thinking, this is an absurd question. Right. And this is a, a, a this is just a guy yeah. who wants me to do something silly, like, you know, meditate on my belly button. I just thought this was like this esoteric, right, like, right. you what know, is your purpose? contemplation, right. bogus garbage. That's what yeah. my take yeah. was. Um, and, of course, the reality is, and this is what, you know, you mentioned my talk a little bit ago, um, is once I got into education and started really coming to understand a little bit more about the history of education, yeah. came to the realization that that's all education used to be, was that fundamentally at the core, education was about guiding a person in the endeavor to fulfill his purpose, right? That was what it was. It was uh, a teacher was somebody who had experience that the student didn't, mm -hmm. who was supposed to come in. <clears throat> and walk the student down the path towards the fulfillment of the his reason for being here. And, of course, that was the mindset that the Greeks had. Um, and the Christians, of course, came in. And when, when Christian education really started to proliferate, they really took it, that idea and ran with it. Because the Greeks, of course, said that the principal reason for education is virtue. Yeah. Um, and to a Greek, virtue was not about being a good person. Virtue was about fulfilling your purpose. You were a virtuous person if you fulfilled your purpose. Um, and they, they, by the way, believed everything could be virtuous or any kind of like a table. That was their entire filter yes, for everything. For everything. Right. Tables were built to hold things up. So a table is virtuous if it succeeds in doing that. And if it's flimsy and it falls over, then it's a vicious table. It has vice, not virtue. I love your story about your, your, your car you had that uh, didn't steer correctly. Yeah. It, was, it was the opposite of virtuous. It was the opposite of virtuous. That's right. Yeah, I had the, the steering wheel just stopped working. So when so, I turned it right, I did not so move So you had right. a vicious vehicle. I had a vicious car. That's right. Yeah. That's but right. that idea, we don't yeah. think, we don't tend to think that way. And so, again, in, in short time, we'll kind of explore this. I want to take a break and we'll come back because I, I want to actually see if if the premise you're putting forth, which I fully believe, is that the, our classical Christian schools are actually addressing this most urgent question mm -hmm. that is behind every other question of what is your purpose. If we don't answer that, our, our students are doomed to despair. Yes. But but what led this educational process? Because so many of us did not grow up in schools that would even ask that question. Mm -hmm. And it seems like in a very ethereal, like if you got time and nothing else is going on, you could sit there and ask that. But the rest yeah. of us have real work to do. So Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the thing was is 
the Christians, when they, the, the early Christians, when they first started educating their children, they looked at the Greeks and they said, oh, you guys are asking the right questions, but you don't have the answer. Mm. Like, I mean, you're, you're saying we need to be virtuous, which means we need to fulfill our purpose, but you don't know what that is. You don't know what the purpose is, right? but they're coming in and they're saying, but we do know, right? right? We have the scriptures, we have the word of God, we have God delineating for us why we're here, who we are, why we matter in this universe, right? right? We're created in the image of God. We are created with the purpose of bringing glory to him. And that ultimately there is a story on the other end of it where we will live in a new heavens with a new earth where everything is perfect. God is yeah. wiped away every tear, all that kind of stuff. That's the destination that yeah. we're going towards. And so so they come in and they say, all education needs to be geared towards that, right? Everything needs to be filtered down towards um, helping us to fulfill that particular calling that God right. has put in our lives. And that's, you know, there are a lot of practical ways that this, of course, manifested itself. And that's the stuff that we, as a classical Christian schooling m- movement, we are Going kind of, back to this, we're thing. going back to it. We're going right. back and we're saying, let's take this stuff right. and use it. And yet, we don't realize the last hundred years. And maybe, maybe we'll take a break and come back and again, not to get into a huge history mm-hmm. lesson. But there was a very intentional shift away from that towards this utilitarian: go get a job, turn a wrench, and we don't care about your purpose. And we've yeah. literally kind of neutered our our, our education. There's yeah. nothing left yes. except sort of turning a wrench. So, all right, I'm with Tom Velasco. Exciting conversation as we look at really how do we bring confidence back in the lives of our students today in a world that's got a lot of despair going. We, we're a part of something I believe that's at the leading edge of bringing hope and purpose. So we're going to talk about that right after the break. We'll be back. Okay. Welcome back to Basecamp here with Tom Velasco having a conversation about about purpose um, and how it seems like such an obvious question, but it's one that's not really addressed anymore in our school. So what happened, Tom, from the Greeks who were saying that is the whole reason we should be having formation of our of our culture, our community, our schools, to we've thrown that out the window. And I guess some of our early 20th century John Dewey and friends came along and said, that has nothing to do with getting a job, so out the window. Yeah, well, you know, the Enlightenment thinkers, so coming out of the 17th century into the 18th century, most of them still believed in God, but eventually... We come out of that, and largely Darwin. I mean, Darwin ends up creating, you know, introducing a mechanism that could kind of, at least in people's minds, explain how everything got here without him. Mm-hmm. So people stopped believing in God, and what that did in academia, e- at the college level, is it drove people into a serious crisis. Yeah. Um, Albert Camus' essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, mm-hmm. he opens up by saying, suicide is the only serious philosophical question. Since we've demonstrated that there is no God, Explaining why life is worth living is the only thing we have left to do. And what he was actually referencing was a real phenomenon across Europe where you literally had professors who would spend entire classes imploring their their students not to kill themselves. You had a ton of suicide at the college level because these guys were saying, oh, there's no God, so we have no reason to be here. There's no hope, getting back to that despair point, because at the other end of our lives, we're all just dust. That sounds like contemporary college. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't sound like it was that long ago. Yeah. And so what it did is is it forced Camus and his group and the existentialists to sit there and say, well, we need to come up with a new way to find purpose. For the existentialists, that was like defining it for themselves. Sure. Um, as we go into postmodernism, it's like identifying your group, so to speak. And Which is exactly what describing them. our student or alumni just came yes, from this experiment. Exactly. Identifying yourself by your race, your ethnicity, right. your gender, your some kind of sub, your, your social status, all that yeah. kind of stuff. 
Um, in, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I, I, I want to jump to sort of so the so the antidote to that then is well, our kids should be in a Christian school and they learn about Jesus, and therefore it all works itself out. And I think that the, what we believe is that yes, of course, Jesus is the answer. But what we see in a classical Christian classroom is a very intentional effort to peel these layers back to get down to the purpose question. I mean, is that yeah, absolutely. So, so, so again, just kind of pragmatically. Uh, we know that that this is the right place to be. I guess. I guess. I think a lot of people listening didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a classical Christian school, so I think we think. Well, wait a minute. It's just a Christian school. I get it. Okay, have a Christian teacher, have chapel. But why? Is, we're reading. We're reading through 125 of the greatest books of Western civilization. It. It's just good mental exercises, right? No, you would say. Um, help me understand. This is actually exposing these deeper questions to help our students find. Their yeah. purpose. So. Yeah. Well, I think it would it would be different for every different field of study you might partake in. But here's an example of what it might look like. Okay. Um, we read, you know, these books, these great books here at the school. Um, and the book that we most recently read is uh, the story of Billy Budd, which is a story about a sailor who is, I mean, without running, yeah. going to too much, he's falsely accused of mutiny. He's ultimately found guilty and are conspiring to commit mutiny. He's ultimately found guilty and he's ultimately hanged, in spite of the fact that the people who hang him know he really didn't do anything wrong, right? They know yeah. he's innocent. So we're reading through this yesterday in class and we're discussing the different characters. And uh, I spent some time talking about the captain of the ship because there's a scene after Billy's found guilty where the captain of the ship, Captain Veer, has to let him know about the judgment, about mm. the the you know what the finding of the court was. He decides to do it himself. He walks in and he faces Billy by himself because he's the one who made the decision. And so we spent a lot of time talking about responsibility and about authority and about how when you are an authority, you have to make a you have the responsibility to to play out um, and to do your duty. Don't pass it off. We tied it in actually to um, to certain aspects of politics where you can have people in positions of authority or power while they're while they're they will throw some of their underlings under the bus and stuff mm. like that. So all this to say that we read the literature that we read um, as an example of one of the things we might do because literature is incarnational. That is, what it does is literature tells stories that show us the virtues on display. Mm. And so my goal is to sit there and to look at Captain Veer and to say, look at the virtue he's expressing. Let's talk about this and let's understand in real practical ways how we live like this. And again, for me, when I say virtues here, I, I'm thinking like the Greeks did. Our virtues tied up into our purpose. Right. God has a purpose for us, and that purpose um, includes, of course, how we interact with our fellow man on on the earth. Right. And of course, when we see the opposite, when we see people not living the right way, yeah. then this is what this is the behavior we shun. So the focus is that it's not about it's not about getting the information we need to get a good job. Which is good, and I don't sure. want to, you know, I don't want to, you well, know. Well, I, I think that's how, I think we often are viewed as the school that just reads, it's just harder stuff. Like, we yeah. don't read the, you know, we, we, we don't read the, the watered-down Shakespeare, we read the original Shakespeare, and we have to learn what these and nows mean, and it's just, it's harder, it's grittier, it's more sawdust in it, or gravel mm -hmm. or something. But it's not, it's it's literally vicariously hearing Billy mm -hmm. Budd's story and thinking, where did this guy yeah. anchor his life to? And where am I anchoring my life to? Yeah, yeah. we don't read the harder stuff because it's harder. <laughs> we read it because it's better. And we read the better stuff because it's the better stuff that is teaching us the right things mm. as people. You know, and you know, you've made reference to Dewey a moment ago. Uh, I talked about how 
um, the existentialist Albert Camus, they went one route. Dewey saw the same exact thing. He saw, oh, there's no purpose. He's the guy who influences us. Him and the pragmatists uh, influence education. They say, hey, look, education is no longer about purpose. Education is about what does it do for us in terms of success in life. This is where we develop this whole idea that school is about getting a good job. And so consequently, and this is the way everybody thinks, I thought of it that way as a seventh grader. If I took a class and I could not, in my mind, translate something that I was doing in the class with success in the marketplace. I hear this all the time I said, kids. what's the point? Yeah, why am I taking logic? Why am I taking it? It's yeah. not going to help me with anything. It's not going to help me. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and parents say the same thing. It's yeah. not going to help me with anything. Everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody Because we're all way. influenced yeah. by this. We're all influenced by this. We thought it was just the Dewey Decimal System that if, in fact is it's <laughs> Dewey everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's, the pra- that's pragmatism. Pragmatism says there is no purpose. There yeah. is no point. Everything we do is to get a good job. The funny thing about that is, even if you, of course, <laughs> if somebody asking that, the reality is, is none of us know what we're going to do for a job. And it could be that the thing we're complaining about is precisely the thing we'll need for the job anyway. But even aside from that, it's it, you know, there are so many things that are about incarnationally living out our purpose, like in a real pronounced way. And yeah. every aspect of what we're doing is is gearing towards that. So give us, I mean, again, I'm fast. You have, you're such a great storyteller. I mean, give mm-hmm. us, you've talked about Billy Butt. Is there another example of just sitting around a table with 12th grade students and you're reading literature that stood the test of time and somehow in it, You've dotted, you've connected it right back to purpose. So mm-hmm. a kid is going, yeah, that's what I need in my life. Um, yeah. So, for instance, when we go through the Brothers Karamazov at the start of the year uh, in the third quarter, yeah. um, we're introduced to three different brothers. And each brother embodies, again, incarnationally, totally different systems of values. Um, you have... Ivan, who's the intelligent one. Ivan's the one who is the great thinker who could be a lawyer, who could do whatever he wants, yeah. really, as from a, in terms of career. He's also an atheist. He's the atheist. You have Dimitri, and Dimitri is the passionate one. Like, mm. uh, And when I say passionate, I mean uh, to a fault, right? He's the guy who thinks with his emotions, not with his mind, yeah. and consequently gets in a lot of trouble. He's also the guy who uh, he, he drinks quite a bit and parties a little bit and womanizes and all that kind of stuff. He's the guy of the flesh, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. And then you have Alyosha, the the hero of the story, and he is the one who loves God. Mm. And so at the beginning of the book, we just read about Alyosha as a child, and we just read about Alyosha's interactions with the children around him. And uh, there's one story that always stuck out to me uh, in that book, and it is how Alyosha, as a child, would be was, was loved by everyone. And he was loved by everybody because he loved everybody. Mm. But at the same time, he had a conviction before God that other people couldn't understand. And so he would also get made fun of. They loved him, but they would make fun of him. And one of the things that the boys, it said when he was a kid, liked to do is they liked to they like to make dirty jokes around him because they like to watch his response. Mm-hmm. Because his response was to curl up in a ball, stick his fingers in his ears, and close his eyes. Mm. And um, when we bring that up and talk about it, I one of the things I talk about is, okay, guys, what is supposed to be our response and our interaction to certain kinds of language and certain talk? And you know what I mean? Like what and 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 I use Alyosha as a character, one to talk about his convictions. Two, to talk about, of course, the fact that he there are certain things that he finds repugnant. And we, if we're fulfilling our purpose and if we're good souls, we're going to find those things repugnant too. We're not going to want to hear that stuff. Right. And what is his response? It is to shut it out because yeah. he doesn't want it. But also, at the same time, he does it loving the people. 
and being kind and and, and you know what I mean and, and so so I so a big part of it is just taking a look at the people the characters and seeing how they live and and just talking about how this how we can emulate because it almost becomes day, like a parable of like here's your like here's three ways you could live your life yeah yeah well I mean at the end of the day. That's ultimately what education is, right? I mean, the scriptures tell us that that a student is not above his teacher, but when he is fully formed, he will be like his teacher. Right. So what is it that any teacher is actually imparting? It's, to whatever degree, trying to teach them to be like yeah, myself. You're, you're modeling, right? exemplifying modeling, this exemplifying. thing. Exemplifying. Yeah. And of course, I'm imperfect. So my goal is to have them model the things I do well, right. and to hopefully not model the things right. I don't do right. well. Well, the great thing is they have so many models, right. right? They have so many other people who they can, and hopefully, if we train them right, my goal, our goal would be that they would take the good things from each of their models and right. they would eschew the bad things. Right. It's shaping um, that affection yeah. of what is true, good, and beautiful that they love. I, mm-hmm. it, now, our time is short. That mm-hmm. you, you told a story of one of our graduates. I think it was in the hospital and kind of came back and read Brothers K. Mm-hmm. Th- that I thought again, this is maybe sometimes we think our kids are not even listening to all of this, but yeah. there's some, these things, these stories are rich. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a student who really struggled yeah. uh, in my class and definitely did not have the um, enthusiasm, I would say, or mm-hmm. the excitement about reading a lot of the books and oftentimes struggled to read the stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember uh, this was a couple years ago. He ended up in the hospital due to an illness. And um, Mr. Hozier, who's one of the, one of my fellow, one of my colleagues here, one of yeah. my fellow teachers, uh, he and I both went to go visit this student. And we went into the hospital room. He was reading Brothers Karamazov. And Mr. Hozier asked him, he said, why are you reading that now? And he says, well, I heard our discussions. And I thought, <laughs> oh, man, that... That sounds that sounds really interesting, and he says, "I just felt like I needed to do that." Yeah, and and he he was, and and my hope is is that, of course, as he's reading those, he's not just reading a story, right? I and mean, that's the big thing. It's not about plot points. It's not making sure he knows all right. the events. It's, right. It's that he's getting into the heads of the character. He's seeing Alyosha, and he's wanting to emulate Alyosha, yeah. and he's seeing. Not just with Alyosha, the great thing about those is Dimitri and Ivan, the other brothers, they all have really great characteristics too. And they have horrible characteristics yeah. as well. And so the hope is is to to elevate and to 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 encourage people and to 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 spur them on to the great things and to teach them to eschew the bad. You yeah. know, and at the end of the day, most of these stories, they're stories that 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 although fictional they they do convey the kinds of things that happen in real life. Yeah, and I, and I think again we it's the whole we have this God shaped hole in us. We want something more. It's interesting because the story of the student to me says that he found everything else kind of wanting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the let's go. Eventually, I think they're going to come to the end of the Instagram, Facebook world, mm-hmm. and Snapchat, and realize there's got to be more. And, yeah. and I think that's where despair kicks in if there's not mm-hmm. an alternative. And these alternatives are best born out through stories of lives well lived. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's it all ties back together. Yeah. Well, and also yeah. to the point, too, you know, it's I'm only saying this because you just brought it up. Yeah. But um, we don't just read the stories. We also read people who are articulating the ideas behind the stories. Sure. And so, you know, my senior year, or the, with my senior class, we read Pascal, and he's the guy who first brought up the whole idea of the God-shaped void. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, philosophically, very straightforward, directly, we talk about... Um, I love that little section in Pascal because he talks about happiness. He yeah. talks about what makes people happy. And he talks about the fact that nobody is happy. Yeah. And his argument for the fact that nobody's happy, and mind you, this is in the 17th century, the 1600s, <laughs> is because everybody is spending all of their time diverting themselves with distractions that aren't doing anything with them. That's in the 1600s. Exactly. I have no idea what they were distracting themselves with. I don't know. They did not have TV. They did not have radio. I don't they know, did not... but it, it, cow tipping, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what yeah. they did, but yeah. something was distracting. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said that they could not... Yeah experience happiness without it. 
And then he leads into his discussion on what actually makes people happy. He says the distractions never will because they never end. Yeah. And he goes on to say that what we have is an infinite void. And if you try to, an infi- to fill an infinite void with, yeah. with finite things, you will never be satisfied. And he goes on to say that it's because we were created sure. with a need for God. Yeah. So we very specifically actually yeah. articulate it in the stuff we read. That yeah. would be very, I would think, useless for the most part for anybody who was taking that class for the purpose of getting a good job. Sure. <laughs> you know? But for – well, and I think – and just to be clear, coming back full circle, I mean, the, the end game is obviously to get them to the point of finding themselves in, in God, their maker, in mm-hmm. Christ. And, and I think that's where, again, sometimes it's we're accused of we're just staring at our navel talking philosophy. We're not. We're anchoring back. We're mm-hmm. doing it in a very, mm-hmm. I think, compelling way. And, I, and, and again, this is... I find it interesting. Was it in two thousand four? Rick Warren wrote "Purpose Driven Life," and you know, thirty million copies by mm-hmm. two thousand seven. There is this a broad cultural urge for mm-hmm. something of purpose in our life. Yeah. And I just, I hope you know, goal in our conversation today. Hopefully, it's come through clearly. Look, that's what we're doing every day in our classrooms. We're helping to anchor the most critical felt need inside of our students for identity and purpose through these great books and through mm-hmm. these conversations, ultimately back to Christ. So I can't think of a better place for students to be today than yeah. in, our, in our classrooms. So, yeah. And, and yeah, I ahead. would also add just one more thing, too. We've, I've, you know, kind of, you know, put down a little bit the whole idea of doing everything for a job. But, of course, I'm not. Jobs against, are good, by the way. Jobs yeah. are good. Parents and, are like, I don't want them in the basement, <laughs> and Tom. Get them totally out of the basement. Le- yeah. It's totally legitimate. <laughs> but, you know, when I think about that, too, I also think about my my, my father, my own dad, who um, he, he actually didn't make it through uh, third grade. So he made it up to third grade, and then yeah. he was done with school. And when he first moved to the states, he made seventy cents an hour. And I, as far as I know, he's never made more than twelve bucks an hour. And most of his life was about four or five. Wow. And he owns three houses outright. He has a really high level middle class lifestyle, mm. and it's because he knew how to live life well. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. my dad is a guy who has shown me how to live life well. And at the end, and and ultimately, that's what we hope to do here exactly right yeah so. well hey tom velasco thanks for being here on base camp today we always have so many good things to talk about we'll have to have you back on again thank uh, you and uh thanks for thanks for reminding us of the important work that happens here every day and thank you for what you do in the lives of our young people well thanks dave it's great to be with you All appreciate right. it we'll, we'll, we'll have you again okay. again soon thanks bye bye You've been listening to Basecamp Live with Davies Owens. You know, raising the next generation isn't easy, so we hope you're refreshed and encouraged by what you've heard today. And if so, please invite others to listen. You can subscribe at BasecampLive.com, and we would invite you to join the conversation about ancient future education. Info at BasecampLive.com is that address. Please shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for joining us.